your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up to Hebrews uh, chapter 10. And I just want us to work through this chapter together today uh, by looking at and continuing to add some things to this list of things that we celebrate, that we long for, that we are thankful for. And if you have your Bible or you own your device, Hebrews chapter 10, it starts off by giving us something good. It tells us right off the bat, the, he, the Hebrew writer says that for, sin, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. We know that something better is coming. Right off the bat, we know that something better is coming. And we know, we're reminded in verse number four, that it's impossible for the blood of an animal to cover over our sins. And verse five tells us that that's why Jesus came. He came to cover over, to erase our sins, and we celebrate that, and we are thankful for that, and we praise God for that, and we keep going down through this verse, and we see the words of Jesus repeated a couple times, that I have come to do the will of you, O God. I have come to do what these people couldn't do for themselves. I have come to redeem, to rescue them. In verse number 10, we're reminded that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Not something that we have to, to go to Jerusalem for every year to offer sacrifices just to cover over our sins, but we are being sanctified because of the blood of Jesus Christ once and forever. In verse number 12, that Christ offered a single sacrifice for all time. And then in verse number 14, that he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And we just have this list and list, this growing list, this expanding list of things that we should be thankful for and things that we celebrate and we say, yes, Jesus, give us more of this. And then verse number 17, a verse that I am so grateful for, that he will remember our sins no more. Everything, every misstep we have had, every, every time that we have um, embarrassed God, we have sinned against him, he remembers those times no more. And we say, thank you, Jesus, for that. And we, we have this confidence in verse number 19. We have this confidence that we're now able to enter the holy places because of the blood of Jesus. And we have this great priest over us in verse number 21. And we say, thank you that Jesus is our priest. And we, we raise our hands in celebration and in praise of him. And we are thankful for that. And because of this confession that we have of our hope in verse number 23, and we talk about this all the time, that it's not this 50-50, I hope this works out in my, in my favor. No. The hope that we have as Christians is a sure thing, a take-it-to-the-bank thing, because we have an inheritance that will never change, that is undefiled, unchanging, forever, stored up for us, waiting for us as heirs of the kingdom. And let us encourage how we can build each other up. And then it's like we hit a wall, running full steam into a wall when we get to verse number 25. And if we go King James Version on us here, he says, do not forsake the assembling of the people of God. And we're like, well, oh, hold on. You, you, you can't, don't, don't put this on me. Don't, don't, don't ask me to do something. Right? We instantly, in a moment, like we flipped the light switch, forget everything that we had celebrated beforehand. Uh, uh, reading in just this chapter, in, verse, in chapter number 10 of Hebrews, and we, we immediately pump the brakes slam on the brakes, come to a roaring stop because we get called out. Don't forsake the assembling of the people. <laughs> and we, we just throw up our hands like, 
don't, 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 don't go down this road. And even though it's God writing this stuff to us through Paul and through the author of Hebrews and through, through Matthew, through Mark, through Peter, through John, even though it's God speaking to us, we're like, you can't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. Everything that we have been given. And that's what I hope we walk away with today is realizing that everything that we have is because of God. And instead of asking a question like, do I have to? We need to look at it differently. And I hope that's what we get at today. You see, originally this, seri- this sermon today uh, in this series about uh, we assembly required was originally called, Must We Assemble? And it sort of had this, this higher church type of feel to it. But we changed it to, do we have to assemble? Because if you say that just right, you can hear the whininess in our voice when we say it. Do I have to do this? Do I have to get out of bed? We did lose an hour last night. Do I have to get out of bed and go? And church, I'm hoping that it's time for us to flip the script on that. That no longer we ask, do I have to assemble? Do I have to go to church? But instead, that we change the dialogue from our whiny resistance, from our, uh, from our reluctance to, to get to coming together, from us accepting any excuse not to be here, to us eagerly, expectantly, anticipation-fueled and, and, and filled with exuberance, with excitement, saying, I can't wait to be with my family again. Until the day that God calls us home individually or returns to claim his bride, this that we have on a Sunday morning is just a taste of what eternity will be like. Until that time, we look forward to being together. We should change the dialogue. We need to flip the script Why would we not want to come to church? Why would we not want to be gathered in the presence of the body of Christ? Why would we not want to run toward an opportunity to be in the presence of God? Why is there ever anything on my schedule that creates even any reluctance for me being together with the faith family, the body of Christ? Why would I not want to be here? So let me ask you this morning, why are you here? Why do you come to church? Is it out of a sense of duty? You're trying to stay on God's good side? I'll show up. I'll do my part. He's given me some, so I'll show up. It's out of a sense of duty. Maybe it's, a, it's an opportunity to socialize. Five days a week, six days a week, you saw your work friends. You got to hang out with them. And then you, maybe you see your community, your neighborhood friends, and you got to hang out with them. You got to see your, your, your sports friends or your, your, your choir friends or your band friends. But now you come together on a Sunday morning to see and to socialize with your church buddies. Is it to teach your kids about morality? Is it to teach them some good lessons? Well, you brought them to a good place. Gretchen and Katie are going to do you right in that area. Do you come because your parents did it and you're just sort of following them? It's just what, just what the foremans do. It's just what the Coon family does. We show up on a Sunday morning because mom did it and grandma and grandpa did it. We just are continuing the tradition. Is it because your parents made you? 
They woke you up this morning. They drug you here. Or if you're out of the house, maybe you can envision your mom death staring you, all right, uh, to get out of bed, to go to church. Is it to get a spiritual high that will hopefully carry you through the rest of the week? Is it to, to hear a, a, a message? Is it to celebrate Lord's Supper? Is it to, to praise God together? Is it to learn the Bible? Is it to be encouraged by fellowship? Why are you here this morning? Why do you make it a part of your life to be here this morning? Well, I want to challenge you today that there's a deeper reason. Some of those reasons are awesome. And I'll say this, if any of those reasons got you in the room today, I'm glad you're here. But there's a deeper, a more theological reason behind why we are here today. And it starts with the fact that God assembles. He gathers his people. We've seen this all throughout history. You can go back to the Old Testament and see how he talks to his people and how he gathers and assembles his people, Israel. And it spills over into the New Testament that the church then gathers. If God has adopted you into his family, he is the one who brings you to the family dinner table of corporate worship. And we used that imagery last week about the dinner table. If you are a believer in God, if you put your faith in Jesus, he is the one who is assembling you together. It, it, it's, it, and if you think about it, we are here, and we, everything we do is because God acted first. Let's go back to the beginning. We are here only because, in the beginning, God created. We breathe only because God first breathed in air, breath, into Adam in Genesis chapter 2. We love only because he first loved us, as 1 John 4 tells us. We can be in relationship with him only because he first sent his son, because he loved us so much. We cannot do anything outside of God doing it first. We live, we breathe, we come to him because he acted first. It's common for us uh, to speak of church, what the church does on a Sunday morning as a church service. And that's true, right? But we must put the accent where it belongs. And I want you to hear me and I want you to pay attention for longer than the next breath because I don't want to be deemed a heretic unneedingly. Right? But we, we are here. Because God first served us. Now, I'm not saying that God is doing our bidding. I'm not saying that, that, that we get to dictate what God does. I will never say that. I'm not saying that now. But I want you to think about it. About how God serves us. He ministers to us. Think of the deepest, darkest time in your life. And how God served you in that time. Think of the mountaintop experience of your life and how God served you in that time. God blesses us. He, he, he reveals himself to us. He pours out grace uh, upon us when we don't deserve it. And only once he serves us, then can we serve him. Can we chase after him. And even then, we serve him with the strength that he gives us. 
Consider how God has made it possible for us to worship him uh, in the first place. Look at God the Father. And God the Father opens the door for sinful, sinful people to be redeemed back to him. He, 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 he does this out of his own love and out of his own will. He calls sinners to trust him. He justifies the guilty. He transforms us from idolaters to worshipers. God the Son gives us a perfect picture of what a worshiper should be. He, he lives a life fully pleasing to the Father. He then offers him sacrifice, himself as a sacrifice in our place. He, he mediates a new deal, a new covenant for us. He intercedes for us now, and he opens a way for us to draw near to God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit enables our hearts to know him. It enables us to know the Father through the Son, and he enables us to, to call upon Jesus as our Lord. He regenerates us from death to life, and the Holy Spirit prays for us. But not only does God enable our worship in the first place, he ministers to us every time that we gather together. Um, Matthew chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 speak of that when, when we are here, that God manifests his presence in our midst. Uh, in Colossians and 2 Timothy and Hebrews and 2 Peter uh, says that God reveals himself to us. He instructs us. He comforts us through his word read, through his word sung, through his word prayed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God grants us participation in the body of Christ and the blood of Christ through what we just celebrated when Scott led us in communion. We participate in the body. God convicts us and he converts unbelievers through the church's teaching, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And just as Ezekiel, as Ezekiel had this vision of dead bones coming to life at the preaching of God's word, God grants faith from hearing God's word preached. Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 says that God builds up the body as believers use their God-given, spirit-fueled abilities and gifts to serve and to work beside each other. One of my favorite Christian authors is Brian Chappelle, and he summarizes this quite well. He said, God is not only the chief audience of our worship, which, man, I hope that's it, I hope as we worship here and whether you worship uh, with arms raised or whether you clap, whether you sing out loud, uh, whether you just mouth the words that you remember that your audience, the audience is not the people around you, your audience is God. He is your sole audience. But not only is he our chief audience of worship, by his word and his spirit, he is also the true speaker, singer, and prayer of our worship. We do nothing that God does not first do for us. So why do we assemble? We could spend the rest of today talking about this, but I want us to leave with just three reasons why we assemble as a body of believers, as a local church. In the first, we assemble to encounter God's unique presence. Yes, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. There is nowhere that we can go that he is not there. We cannot hide from him. We can't outrun him. We can't outdistance him. God is everywhere. But he delights in especially manifesting himself in the presence of his people. When his people assemble, 
God loves to show up in a special and unique way. You can go to the Old Testament and you can see when God would assemble his people through a prophet, through a, through a king, right, through, through a judge, when he would assemble his people, something amazing happened. There was fear at times. There was reverence. There was always worship. God loves to show up in a special way when his people gather. So, church, if God delights in descending from the throne of heaven to dispense his grace and his presence among us, ought we not be motivated to overcome the relatively mild inconvenience of getting up, getting ready, getting others ready, and expectantly coming, praying for him to be here, wanting to see more of him, wanting to feel his presence, and in person to praise his glorious name. When we think of all that he has done, why would we not want to be here? We assemble to encounter God's unique presence. We also assemble to embrace our role in his story. Or to put it more fully, we, we, we assemble to embrace the part that God has ordained for us to play and then to earnestly play it. Church, this is important. We gather to go. We assemble to scatter. We, we, we worship together so that we can go and worship throughout the week. We gather as a body of Christ so that we can go and be the body of Christ in the school systems, as we work for the government, as we work in our community, as we help other people, we celebrate to go into battle. We come into a pep rally so that we can go out into combat. We assemble, we scatter, we assemble, we scatter. We are to be gathered together so that we can go and fulfill the mission of the church. If you have your Bible, and you, I encourage you to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is a beautiful section of scripture. So now you have two things you're going to read this week. Hebrews 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul puts beautifully what it looks like when the Holy Spirit puts flesh to the church. And you can read the first part of chapter 12 and you see all these spiritual gifts. You're good at this, you're good at this, I'm good at this. We have all been gifted for different things and for different purposes. But when you get down to verse number 12, you see all this varied giftedness, all, this, all these different talents and gifts and passions that have been given to the church are given to one body. See, we are all part of one body. The idea of a Lone Ranger Christian does not exist in this book. We gather together as the body. The church is about the people who gather. When we, the people of God, sink our commitment roots into the church and show up, we are attesting to the miraculous will and the work of God over our lives to place us and make us something together that we cannot be alone. We're not decentralized factories of random parts. We are a body of God's fashioning. That's why we encourage you, not just to be here, not just to assemble here, but to assemble with a care group, to assemble with a ministry team. Not so we can create more busy work for everybody to do, but because we believe that God is trying to build something of our shared lives. We believe 
he wants to do something through this local church. And we want to see what that's going to be. <coughs> I want you to think just a second. I want you to think about what happens. Can I have that water? I want you to think about what happens when a body part is no longer there. My grandpa uh, was, he served and he lost a finger. Um, and his finger itched all the time. It wasn't there. Um, and he had to learn how to reduce a few things. And now luckily it was just one digit and not five or 10. But he had to learn how to relearn how to function. What happened to that body part that was no longer there? It just didn't atrophy. It died. He was no longer a whole in the way that he had been. He had to readjust. He had to learn. That finger died. And what happened to him? Well, he was a different person because of that. He was no, he was no longer going to be what he once was. The church is the same way. If there is a member who is not here, that member is eventually not just going to lose power, will lose strength. It's eventually going to die. And that hole, because part of us is no longer here, will never be what she once was. That's why you hear me or Scott or any of our deacons or other people who stand in this place say quite frequently that we are not who we can be. We are not who we need to be unless all parts of this local body are working together. God has gifted us all, and we are all called to work together. We assemble to embrace our role in God's story. And the third and final thing that I want us to just reason that we assemble is to experience the kingdom together. I can worship on the Foreman Farm in Vincent, Ohio. I can worship as I drive between here and there. I, I can worship in the mountains. I can worship on the beach. I can worship in my recliner at home but I cannot experience it with you in those places. We come together because we want to see and experience God's presence. We want to be reminded and empowered for the role that we have, and we want to experience the kingdom together. If you look at Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 together, you see that the God has gifted the church with leaders and with skills and talents that are there to mature the entire body so that we are all raised up into maturity. And we do that and we live here together. We assemble to experience the kingdom together. I want to close with just a couple, a couple of thoughts. What if I told you that next Sunday morning, your hero was going to be right here? The next Sunday morning when we come and you walk through the doors, your hero will be here. If I said that to you and I was able to deliver, you would do whatever you needed to to be here. Your schedules, regardless of how full, how busy they are, would instantly have an opening next Sunday morning at 1015. You would do whatever you could do to be here to see your hero. Now, you, if your hero is not somebody that you know personally, a lot of us spend a ridiculous amount of money to be in the same venue, the same room as our hero. 
I want to challenge you that if your hero is somebody that you have to pay to go see, go back to the hero catalog and flip through the pages and join and choose somebody else to be your hero. But next Sunday morning, save Jesus coming back to take us all home, we will be here. And in this room, because his church, his body is here, Jesus Christ will be here in this room. We can clear our schedule to do anything we want to. This summer, we're going on a family vacation, and we do whatever we have to to make that happen. We set aside extra money. We put in vacation request forms. Uh, we may work a day without getting paid. We, we, do, we, we, we will make sure that, our, that, that everything is ready to go on vacation because we look forward to it. We prepare for it. Uh, we anticipate it. Sunday mornings should be that for us as well. There should be nothing that pops up that doesn't keep us from being here together. From, from, from seeking, if you're on vacation, from seeking out a local body of believers and being together. Why? Because we want to experience God's unique presence. We want to be reminded of our role, and we want to experience the kingdom with fellow believers. Next Sunday, be here. Because I don't know who your earthly hero is, but, but your God will be here next Sunday. Parents, grandparents, spouses, I want to encourage you this week to set the tone to be intentional about setting the tone. Setting the tone is sort of like being an example, right? You don't have a choice over, over whether you're being an example or not. All of us are setting an example by the way that we live, by the way that we conduct ourselves, by the way that we love and serve or don't serve or don't love. We do have a choice over the type of example that we are. We can choose to be a, a, a basement dweller, somebody who's trying to drag somebody down into the dark with us, or we can be balcony people who are striving to pull people up. We can be good examples. We can be bad examples. We have that choice. We set a tone by the way that we live our lives. We don't have a choice over whether we do or not. We do have a choice over what the tone is that we are setting. Parents, if all week you look at the next time that the church gathers as a burden, as something we got to do, as something that's laborious because you got to get all the kids ready and we have to at least have on clean clothes, whether we match or not when we all get together and, it's, it's, and you dread getting together, you know what? That's the tone that your whole family is going to take. Your little ones are watching you. If showing up at church is a chore that you just check it off the list, that's what it's going to become for those who look up to you, who follow you, your lead, who are under your care. But if you look forward to being together with the church, guess what? That too is going to rub off on those who are watching you, who are living with you, who, who are following your lead. This week, set the tone. Don't just wake up on Sunday morning and, and hit, the, hit the snooze three or four times. Expect anticipate what's coming, and prepare for that. And that's, that's still what we're going to talk about in just a little bit. I want to leave you today, though, with just the question. Why would we not want to assemble? 
Why would we not want to be here? When we look at Hebrews chapter 10 and we can just go down through and we can make a long list of everything that all the ways that we have been blessed by God through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, why would we not want to be here? When we look at Hebrews chapter 12 and we see what Jesus endured for us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Somebody willing to march to his death died for us, lived for us, died for us, walked out of a tomb for us. Why would we not want to be here to celebrate him? Uh, if you look at Philippians chapter 4, Paul uh, gives, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, Paul gives this amazing picture uh, of Jesus in, in this poem. And it may not show up in your Bible as a poem. Some versions, some translations show it as a poem, some don't. But it says this, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus left heaven, came here, not because he thought it was going to be awesome, but because he loved you to that degree. Why would we not want to be here to celebrate that person, to be with his body, so that we can be reminded of why we are here, what the purpose is, so that we can experience his presence and so that we can look forward to and experience the kingdom together. Hebrews chapter 10, 23, 24, and 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And help us to anticipate and prioritize and eagerly prepare for assembling of the church together. Let us move everything off of our schedule that hinders us from being here each time the doors of this center are open. And let us walk enthusiastically and let us talk enthusiastically about being in the unique presence of God and his church so that my kiddos and my, my teenagers and my spouse and the guy down the street who I don't know very well but he knows there's something different about me so that he knows that I am looking forward to assembling with my church family, the body of Christ. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching.